All right, guys, I am back. I'm back from Portland. I just hosted my first ever wellness simplified workshop and it was better than I could have ever imagined. And it has inspired me to keep moving forward with what I'm creating here and the community that is showing up is what it's all about. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And if you live in the Los Angeles area, I would love if you joined me this weekend, November 17th at Prana in Manhattan beach from 10 to 12, completely free event. It's my gift to you. It's a healthy holidays and wellness workshop. All you have to do is show up. Well, maybe register first. So we know you're coming. You can use the link in the show notes or go directly to critical forward slash events for more details. I'll be recipe testing, sampling my newest and best peppermint matcha latte recipe. I'm seriously obsessed with it. And we'll be diving into the simple things you can do to stress less, truly enjoy your holidays and do not let them affect your health long term. All the things that are most important to me. There will also be a yoga class that morning in store from nine to 10. I'll probably doing yoga first. So if you just want to make a morning out of it, Join me, be there, and I cannot wait to see you there. Now, let's get this episode with Bridget started. Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast. My name is Brianna Reesing, and I'm a critical care nurse with a true passion for preventative health. I've seen firsthand the impact that poor diet and lifestyle choices can have on us long-term. So with each episode, we'll dive deeper into the realities of our healthcare system, what preventative health truly entails, and what you can do about it. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Bree, and I am back with Bridget, our functional nutrition expert, and I'm so excited to expand this conversation with her. In the last episode, the introductory episode with her, in episode 14, she touched on all different types of topics that we're going to talk about soon with upcoming episodes. But this particular episode, I really want to focus in on gut health, the microbiome, our immune system, food allergies, food sensitivities, how it's all connected, why it's all connected, and where she thinks it's all stemming from. She works with private clients. She's been working with clients for years, and she has a lot of experience in this field, and she has seen drastic improvements with the patients she's been able to work firsthand with. So learning from her experience and taking her insight from the field, I think we'll be able to open all of our eyes a little bit bigger into what we can do about it. So hey, Bridget, how's it going? Great. So excited that we have amazing audio today hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely sounds better on my end. I think the audience is going to appreciate it too. I really messed that up on the first time. I didn't realize how much of an echo there was in my office, so I apologize for that. (laughs) Hey, I'm just glad you were able to show up. We'll take what we can get. So let's just dive into it. I know gut health and the microbiome is a huge passion of yours to talk about, and you've posted some things about it recently as well. But what's your take on it? What's your experience with it? And where do you think all of these gut issues and our interest in the gut is suddenly stemming from? I know it's kind of a broad question, but we'll just get started. Yeah, I know you're right. The gut microbiome is so incredibly fascinating to me, as I know it probably is for a lot of people listening, given that there's so much new research that's coming out about the impact that the microbiome can have on risk of type 2 diabetes, on ability to lose weight, on asthma, allergies. There's uh, trials that I've been reading about with looking at breast cancer and to 
just so many different areas that so we're realizing how much the body is pretty much driven by the gut and our overall gut health being a huge pillar of creating optimal wellness in our bodies. So yeah, I think huge. it's definitely a, a very interesting area to talk about. Yeah. I mean, a few episodes back, Laura and I tried to uncover just some of the information we had been researching on our own as far as like where the imbalances are coming from, where our issues begin. And like we started the conversation with like whether or not you're born vaginally or via C-section. Like it literally begins in birth the way we're born and it just develops from there. And even like your mo- your mom's health while you're in utero and it's just it's so complicated and so broad and there's so many different parts of our life and aspects of our life that can affect it either positively or negatively and we tried to dive into that topic and I think we did a pretty good job but we just really scratched the surface with the basics of things you should be aware of and I think where you're coming from, your insight's so different because you work with people and you get to see the progress of improvement. And I would love to hear just like from your experience where you think that's beginning and how the process goes with any one client having issues. Yeah, I know. I I love what you guys have already talked about. And I think that just to kind of pointing in on the fact that it's when you're born and even before you're born that actually yeah. impacts all of these things. The biggest three determinants of your overall microbiome, which then impacts your immune system by the age of four years old is going to be whether you were vaginal or C-section, whether you were uh, breastfed or bottle fed, and then whether you were on excessive levels of antibiotics for strep throat or ear infections or whatever that might be before the age of four, around four years old. It's what yeah. you know most yeah. of the research shows. So you realize then that you didn't just wake up one day with this really messed up gut, that there's so many factors that have been influencing you for a long time. And I think it's amazing that you pointed on the fact that a lot of it starts as well when you're in utero. And I think that that's something, that's a message that I've tried to to shed light on for individuals, females, I guess, that are yeah. our age, younger or older trying to have kids because I I joke about the fact that I've been preparing my body to have a child since I was probably like 22 years old, but it's not really a joke because I have been. And I mean, now I'm 28 and I have no, I'm not married and I have no plans of having children anytime soon, but I still am very conscious of the fact that the choices that I make are going to impact that environment or the home of, you know, my future children. And I think that it's something that should not be taken lightly, but at the same time, not to be obsessive about, but to just be more aware, I think. Yeah, being aware of it. Else. And you're not even necessarily, like, yes, prepping your body to have a kid at some point in your life is part of the story, but also just being aware of it for your own health. Because as you said yes. already, it affects the immune system. It affects our mood. It has so much to do with so much that we have never connected before like just these past few years the research that's coming out is insane to witness and you already mentioned like being exposed to antibiotics for recurrent strep throat that was a huge part of my story and a lot of people I touched on my health history I think in episode six um when I had a rash develop all over my body and digestive issues that had been going on and off but were getting more frequent and worse as time went on 
everyone was shocked when I started talking about the issues I had been having because I appear healthy. I appeared well. I was into eating healthy food already. I'd already learned about organic and things like that. But I had only really started paying attention to that stuff within the last few years before my symptoms started. So, of course, people used that against me in certain situations like, oh, well, if you get sick, you're the healthiest person I know. Like, then it doesn't matter. Like, why should any of us even try to change our life? And I just kept trying to explain that it matters more than anything because I'm already doing so many things right. This is proof in itself that so many other things that I was doing were wrong for so long. Right. And my exposures in childhood to antibiotics two to three times a year, I had recurrent strep throat like clockwork. It was at least every summer and every winter, if not an extra time during the year. And I developed an allergy to penicillin around the age of 13 because I had taken it so much. Yes. Um, And just the different issues that were slowly developing that I wasn't really aware of were all connected. In hindsight now, I can see that it all leads to the overall health of my digestive system and the things I was overlooking for so long. Yeah, it's so true. It's like an entirely different lens that you have to start to look through. But then once you start to look through that lens, you can't stop looking through that lens. Where for you, you didn't realize all these things that were mounting up over time. And now that you see it, it's like you can't stop seeing it, you know? (laughs) Right, right. The more I did, like... Of course, antibiotics is the first thing that comes to your mind. But the more I kind of looked back into my history, it's like, okay, I was on antibiotics a lot as a kid. I ate a lot of processed packaged food as a kid. I had a very high sugar diet for a very long time, especially when I was vegan and I was eating high carbohydrates. It just really disrupts the balance. Not to mention I was on Accutane to help fight acne as a child in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Try not to think about that one too much. Um, And birth control. I was on birth control for 14 years. And like you said, you've been priming your body since you were 22. When I started learning about the long-term effects of birth control, and I was lucky to be in a long-term relationship, and my husband and I are now married, and we've been married for three, almost four years it allowed me to make that decision to safely come off of it knowing that I was at much lower risk than I had been previously to develop any other issues but that was my choice because I know that the long-term effects can also affect my my health and the health of a child when I plan to have one and it has major major issues with disrupting the balance of our microbiome as well, which I was totally unaware of before I started looking into it deeper. Yeah, it's crazy how much people don't know. And then the other thing is that it's crazy how much healthcare practitioners still don't know, given that they're still recommending things like birth control to the majority of women that walk through offices and because it's safe you know it does prevent a lot of things that you know could really affect our lives. But the larger picture needs to be discussed that there's a huge list of side effects that aren't being talked about. Right. Like Accutane is a great example, for instance. If you're going to a dermatologist and no one's addressing why you may be having the acne to begin with, it's like, well, that's kind of a problem. You know, it's, again, going back to just putting Band-Aids on things. And diet is so closely related to every single aspect of our health, exactly because diet is one of the only things that's able to alter the microbiome. So within three days of making changes to your diet, your gut microbiome changes. And food and fecal transplants are the two only proven ways that you can alter the microflora in your microbiome long-term. 
Obviously, yeah. antibiotics and other drugs can do that for the negative, but in terms of it actually making changes long-term that are in favor of overall health, it's the foods that you put into your body and fecal transplants, which are right now only used for people that have recurrent C. diff, but I honestly believe that fecal transplants are like the wave of the future once they're yeah. able to demonstrate that it's they can do it in a safe way because I even have a woman that I worked with that had ulcerative colitis and she and her husband, they were just like so progressive and they were doing home fecal transplants and they they were also like the best looking couple I was like I want to be you guys you're so amazing and so cool and then they're telling me about and obviously I asked way too many questions because I'm just so fascinated (laughs) by fecal transplants and everything that has to do with poop because it's really honestly one of the best indicators of whether you're absorbing the foods and nutrients that you're eating so it's like you could be spending $300 at Whole Foods every week to buy or organic foods. But if you have gut dysbiosis, which is, you know, the definition of it is any kind of imbalance that's occurring in the in the levels of bacteria that you have, the levels of bacteria and fungus that you have in your gut, then it's like it, it doesn't matter because you're not going right. to absorb those nutrients. Right. I think that's so interesting too because as we're realizing gut health is such a huge part of our overall health and all the other issues we're probably having. And yet what our poop looks like and what our bowel movement regularity is is not a conversation that we have with friends family or even really our doctors the doctor might ask like when was your last bowel movement or your bowel movements regular but that's a very vague question and most people are just going to say yes out of fear of like not knowing how to have the discussion or just out of shame of having abnormalities and i think that's huge that we'll all talk about organic and like going to the health food stores and doing all the things that are like okay to talk about but the thing that's truly at the core of what where our problems may be stemming from is still really taboo to even start talking about and I think for me that was exactly why my issues developed over time because I was having digestive issues but they weren't frequent or constant enough for me to really pay attention to until they became just apparently constant and a huge issue right and it's just a part of the conversation that a lot of people aren't having right because and they fecal, as- fecal transplants are just uncomfortable for americans to even think about or talk about because it sounds disgusting but it is so powerful that if you truly can transplant a healthy microbiome into yours and it can offset it that's true medicine that's true preventative health right there oh of course i mean this this woman in particular she was not taking any steroids for her ulcerative colitis anytime that she had a flare they would do a fecal transplant in their bathroom together and i was like that is true love that's exactly what i said to them (laughs) but it prevented her from needing any steroids it's the most incredible thing and i think that you know i'm not condoning that because obviously doctors are only allowed to recommend that and I'm not right. even a doctor so right um, it's just interesting to think about the the progress we're making with it right well I was actually so they had this whole microbiome seminar at Case Western Reserve University which is where I teach last semester last spring and they had a lot of really fascinating researchers that are actually doing research on this in a lab looking at you know there's this one guy that is doing I forget his name but he's doing research on the uh, multidextrin and to ulcerative colitis in mice and being able to show that 
the um, consumption of maltodextrin is actually going to increase a person's risk of more inflammation in mice that have Crohn's disease. And obviously, you can't necessarily directly extrapolate that to a human population, but the fact that they're able to demonstrate that in in mice is a really great start. But there was another yeah. speaker that was talking about the fact that there was this man that was in the hospital, and I forget why he was initially in the hospital, but it was like he had been there for a few weeks. His white blood cell count was continuing to go up. He had like some kind of very severe infection. They were going to do some kind of transplant for him the next day. And before then, and that was going to be the only option. They told the family, like, we're going to do a transplant, and we're not really sure if this is going to keep him alive or not but it's right now our only option and then at the last minute they decided okay we'll actually try a fecal transplant uh, before we try you know removing any organs and within it was like six hours of them doing a fecal transplant the white blood cell count started to come back so close to normal that they ended up discharging him the next day from the hospital and it's like in these dire situations they're using fecal transplants to help people but the when you think of what that could do to medicine when it's not just being used in an emergency situation, you know, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I just took this really deep, really fast. And I I kind of want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) I want to circle back because a fecal transplant has power and there is proof that it works but it's also not the first option for most right, people right, and it's right. not the first option it's not necessary <laughs> so knowing it is an option in dire situations and that it is a possibility and maybe it will become more mainstream and it might be as common as being able to take a probiotic at some point but we're not there yet it's just not our society isn't established like that yet and it's really difficult to get in a doctor to even agree to that process I would assume oh of course yes I would never recommend um, it I'm just saying yeah that it is so interesting that there's two options right now that people have in order to change their their overall gut microbiome and like you said diet is a much easier way to do it and actually diet doesn't even include the use of probiotics so I like to you know really emphasize to people that I work with that yes I'm a believer in probiotics and the use of prebiotics to fuel more of the probiotics uh, and short chain fatty acids specifically which are a huge part of overall gut health but at the same time you can't supplement your way out of a bad diet so if you're not getting enough uh, fiber if you're getting too much sugar we know that bacteria feeds off of too much sugar and excessive carbohydrates and that can be the case for people that are eating you know like even a meal that looks something like black beans sweet potato and um I don't know I'm trying to think of another black beans just like rice or quinoa or something like that yes exactly perfect so that whole meal is essentially carbohydrates I mean you'll arguably get some protein from the black beans but for the most part it's it's a lot of carbohydrates. At the same time, it's a lot of fiber. So you could argue that there's benefits to that, but you would be much better off getting more non-starchy vegetables in that meal, maybe swapping out one or two sources of those carbohydrates in order to uh, get more of those non-starchy vegetables that are lower in in sugars and aren't as likely to, for, to lead to bacterial fermentation. And that's from excessive carbohydrates in one meal, that it just breaks down in the gut and starts to ferment because of the large amount versus the variety of eating a more balanced diet. 
Exactly. Well, because it also affects your absorption of the sugars. So if you have protein and fat in the meal, then it's going to decrease the the spike in your blood sugar levels after you've eaten. So it will lead to a lower, you know, there's the, the glycemic index and there's the glycemic load. So a glycemic index is going to indicate how quickly your blood sugar levels increase based on one serving of a specific type of food. So, you know, like white bread and pasta and foods like that are high in the glycemic index as our added sugars and other foods that you know rapidly increase blood sugar levels but then when you look at the glycemic load it's taking into account the impact of blood sugar on the entire meal everything that you're eating in that meal so if you add protein and fat to something it's going even if it's something that you're eating that's higher in the glycemic index like sweet potatoes for instance are more moderately high on the glycemic index but if you have them with a source of chicken and avocado for your protein and fat, it's going to decrease that absorption of sugar in your blood, which will decrease the absorption of sugar in your gut. Yeah. And it just, it truly goes back to the balance of eating just a variety of real whole foods and not getting stuck on any one favorite meal or one favorite food that you're eating over and over again, because it, it truly, it creates an imbalance inside your body because it's constantly digesting that one type of food. And like you said, the microbiome changes within three days. So if you're eating the same foods and not introducing the other foods, you're going to have a huge shift in the microbiome and imbalances and bloating and gas and constipation and different things. And I think it's so interesting because a lot of people will like, have their cheat days or have weekends where they just go all out and eat a whole bunch of junk and drink a whole bunch of junk and then they feel like crap for the rest of the week after and they go into the like other extreme of going to the other spectrum of eating really healthy to try and balance it out but then it's a vicious cycle of doing that and it's just interesting to think about if your microbiome changes in three days and you eat a whole bunch of junk over the weekend you're going to truly feel the effects of that for days in your mood and your immune system and your energy because of what that has done to the balance of the microbiome inside your body. And I think that's an aspect that we've just never paid attention to before. We just always thought it was like sugar and alcohol and calorie just counting. the effects of it. Yeah, yeah. Not really realizing it's at that deeper core that it's truly affecting the balance of our body. Right, exactly. And then you understand that actually diet is related to every form of disease that exists. Because when we know that diet is one of the most powerful ways to shift the microbiome, and we know that the microbiome is being demonstrated in research to be associated with all of these various diseases, it it allows for you to understand that the choices that you make in terms of the foods that you put into your body are so, so critical. And I mean, I'm not for having a a 100% perfect diet all the time, although I do use a lot of therapeutic nutrition interventions with people that I work with, uh, especially once we've tested, because I think that testing is a really critical part because there's so many issues that could be happening in the microbiome. You could have a lack of digestive enzyme secretion. You could have um, altered... Uh, you could have altered acid levels or low HCL. You could have uh, gut bacteria overgrowth that aren't as beneficial. You could have pathogenic bacteria. You could have yeast and fungus overgrowth or candida, otherwise known as candida. And so it's really easy to self-diagnose based on the symptoms that you have and the articles that you read. But until you test it, you don't really know what exactly is happening. Yeah, and so I've it's seen, easy to self-diagnose, but it's really easy to misdiagnose too. And you can still throw that stuff off balance even more so if you're not 
like we've talked about before, getting your baseline testing and know, knowing where the true levels and answers are so that you can act from there. Oh yeah. Cuz if you're if you're having true digestive symptoms, you need to you need to look into that further. You need to get that tested. You need to do a stool sample and make sure you're not overlooking something bigger. Right, exactly. Well, and I actually just had a conversation with a woman today that I'm working with and she I was saying cuz I order stool tests on people that I work with and she was saying that she had had previously gotten a stool test done by her doctor. But the important thing is that to note is that some of the stool testing that's done in a hospital setting isn't the same as what you would get from more of like yeah, a functional very medicine basic. practitioner. Because Typically, it's just looking at like for C. diff or any exactly. parasites or fungi. Yeah, it's right. very basic. So I think that getting that whole comprehensive testing is helpful in order to not guess. Although there are some things that can be done through diet, you know, like increasing fiber intake. It's actually interesting. There was this study that came out looking at the comparison between uh, the diet of European children. It was a small study, but they looked at European children versus children from Africa. And they found that obviously the children from Africa had a diet that was much higher in fiber, much lower calories, and um, much lower carbohydrates. And that when you compared the bacterial composition of both populations that the African population had an extremely different distribution of bacteria and that the European children had a higher level of firmicutes, which is very common in westernized countries that have more processed food intake. I see it in clients all the time. And you have... also higher levels of firmicutes have been associated with an increased risk of obesity. So it's just interesting to look at the correlations that exist between eating too many calories and having too much sugar and not enough fiber and what that can do in terms of just altering the distribution of bacteria in your gut. Yeah. And it also might explain why you might not crave certain healthy foods because you have bacteria in your gut that are craving the junk foods because those are the foods that they thrive off of. If that specific bacteria is found in a more processed diet, the bacteria balance in your gut, from my understanding, can actually play a role in the foods that you're craving because that those bacteria are trying to keep themselves alive as well. Exactly. And Candida I think can that's that where this. That's where the struggle of shifting our diets really come from because the first couple days can be difficult. But if what you're saying is true and things can shift in three days, just knowing that mentally might allow the shift to be easier for people knowing that maybe got to give this three to four days before I really start to feel a shift or balance in my body happen. Right. And And that's a great, just simple understanding. And I think honestly, it takes at least four weeks to really see a difference. But I think that when, yeah, you're right, it's definitely more of a mindset thing to understand also the fact that the sugar cravings aren't something because I see you know people like post on Instagram and things like that there's this huge push for an all foods fit approach you can eat all foods in balance and moderation and you should listen to your internal hunger cues and have dessert once a day if you want dessert and I understand that from a eating disorder perspective or a disordered eating that if you're obsessively trying to control the the foods that you're eating and you constantly feel guilty for eating certain foods that there shouldn't be so much of an emphasis on it but at the same time I think that it's worth trying to understand physiologically why you're having those cravings and 
sometimes they're not even coming from bacteria, right? They could be coming from higher levels of stress. They could be coming from all of these other more psychological factors. Although I would argue that that's still connected to your gut because the gut brain axis, it has such huge power over a person's um, gut health and brain health, because we know that the majority of neurotransmitters are actually produced in our gut, not in our brain. And they're taken up through the vagus nerve. And so because the gut is responsible for some of those things, you know, I, I do, tend to believe that a lot of times the gut does end up driving these cravings but I think that when you're a person that is just trying to give yourself permission to eat more processed foods and things like that because that's what you're craving um, I don't fully agree with it because I also think that your bacteria will crave what you feed them and so as you change um, not only do your taste buds change over time within you know a little over 20 days your taste buds will adjust and they'll continue to adjust over the years but uh, the other thing is looking at altering the composition of bacteria that's in your gut so that then your cravings additionally change as well yeah um Besides fecal transplants, which <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we talked about as being very effective, what are a few like actionable steps that you give your clients to just start with? If they're having digestive issues and maybe they don't have the ability to get any testing done right now, what are a few simple actionable things they can do to see if they can create a positive change in their body before they do any more testing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, one, I think that thinking about things broader than diet is really helpful. So looking at stress, I'm I'm a huge believer that your mental, emotional, and spiritual health is the foundation of functional medicine. And so sometimes even in my first appointments with people, I don't put them on any kind of protocol. We just talk about, you know, um, improving their relationship with food and nutritional basics that can serve them moving forward so that it doesn't just feel like they're on some kind of a diet that then once they go off they'll revert back to their old way of eating right Um, it's more about a lifestyle change right because stress is a huge thing that can drive changes in the microbiome and so looking at lowering your stress maybe not even lowering your stress I hate when people say that but managing your stress a little bit more appropriately (laughs) through meditation or yoga or other things that I'm sure that Amanda will be covering on this podcast (laughs) in addition to that I think that when you look at some of the driving changes because if you even compare the microbiome to how the microbiome looked 30 years ago 50 years ago it looks different and so that's something that I was just talking about recently in my class is that our our genes haven't changed over time. We have the same genes that we had, you know, two generations ago. But what has right. changed is one, our food environment, and two, our then our microbiome as a result of that. And so yeah. it seems like it, you know, Americans have less willpower. There's this doctor, her name's Dr. Deborah Cohen, and I read uh, her book when I was in graduate school because she came to do a lecture at the agency that I was interning at in Washington, D.C., and she wrote a book about how the obesity epidemic and GI disorders and all these things, it's not a willpower problem. It's actually a problem with the foods that we're exposed to. So changing your food norms in terms of what you think is uh, an acceptable thing to be eating. And so looking at the way that our our willpower hasn't changed, our genes haven't changed, but our microbiome has changed dramatically. And some of that can also be due to the increase in stress, this feeling of like having to be on at all times, being everything to everyone. I think that a lot of people fall under that category. In addition to that, not spending a lot of time outside because that, you know, being in the forest and around woods and nature can actually 
cause changes in your microbiome. They've shown that in research. Um, yeah. Also looking at your movement and physical activity, I think is a big part. And then from a dietary standpoint, I think that one of the big things would be to one, decrease added sugar, looking really closely at your labels. Also looking at some of the things that you've talked about for so long. I think the artificial sweeteners are even worse than added sugars. So yeah, things I like aspartame, totally sucralose. For the longest time, no one knew why until they started doing research studies on the microbiome and realizing that actually things like sucralose and aspartame are causing uh, bacterial shifts that are very, that then look similar to the bacterial composition that you would see in type 2 diabetes. And so they are better understanding the fact that while sucralose and aspartame are equals um, Splenda, all these others out there, that they may not be causing direct, directly higher blood sugar levels immediately after consuming them, but they are causing changes in your microbiome that's leading to dysregulation of blood sugar in a more like um, backdoor kind of way. Yeah. So I think that's really trying to change your taste buds and to giving yourself time and patience through that process. I also think that fruit is a great thing, but I don't recommend to emphasizing fruit as much as I do vegetables because most people aren't eating enough vegetables in terms of non-starchy vegetables specifically. So things that are um, that would exclude like potatoes, sweet potatoes, butternut squash, acorn squash, plantain, celeriac, uh, root vegetables like parsnips and rutabaga. Pretty much all other vegetables then would be under that non-starchy vegetable category. And I recommend that people get five to 10 servings per day just of non-starchy vegetables and that than not even including fruits in that. Because whenever I ask people if they're eating fruits and vegetables, they're like, oh yeah, I'm eating apples and bananas and blueberries. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, and what right. about the vegetables? <laughs> yeah, and the fruits are great for antioxidants and different polyphenols. But course, I think yes. just with any sugar-sweetened food, the more sugar and sweetened things you eat, the more you crave them, and the less likely you are to grab the more satiating, more nutrient-rich broccoli in you know just a protein dish versus something sweet if you're given the option to choose from both of them right so I think that's huge I think those are all great starting points I think hitting on getting outside in itself is just that's one of the most important things I realized just with our environments our environments are so sterile from our homes to the places we work to the place like traveling and everything like that we're just everything is wiped down with Clorox bleach and we are not exposed to a broad range of true healthy natural bacteria like we used to it's been scientifically proven that kids that are raised with dogs or cats in the house are less likely to have asthma and allergies because they're actually being exposed to the environment outside on a larger scale because the dog rolls in the dirt and they play with other dogs and then you pet and cuddle your dog and that's just one exposure yeah getting outside barefoot getting in the mud like breathing in fresh air from going on a hike or just in a trail a little bit away from your city is just a different exposure in a different environment and it just really helps make that balance of microbiome the microbiome balance and the bacteria in your body more robust, which allows you and your immune system to be more robust. Right, because your immune system is directly derived from your microbiome. And there's two issues when it comes to like gut health. There's the microbiome composition and whether you have the bacteria where they're supposed to be in the large intestine and not in the small intestine. And then, because that would be more, like I talked about in the last um, 
podcast SIBO and then there's also right. the actual composition of the bacteria in your gut which is indicating more of the microbiome and then you have the lining of your gut and whether you have a leaky gut uh, that you can test for like higher levels of zonulin and other markers that would indicate that you have separations in your in the lining of your your gut in the so, junctions yeah exactly if you envision it like a pipe and there being holes like we talked about so looking at those you know influencing each other because if you have bacterial overgrowth you'll be more likely to have separations in those tight junctions um, but you're right oh, the over sterilization is such a problem yeah and I don't use like any kind of antibacterial, um, you know, what are they called? It's, it's like the instant things people carry in tubes. Hand sanitizers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Word recall. I'm not sure why that's been a problem for me in the last like 48 hours. But anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a study that actually just came out last week that looked at the overuse of home cleaners and they looked at the microbiome of infants and then they redid the uh, the stool testing when they were toddlers and they looked at the use of home cleaners in the house and that people that were using more traditional home cleaners in higher volumes, that the toddlers had alterations in their gut bacteria that correlated with a higher risk of obesity or the toddler being overweight. And it's because actually you can't be obese as a toddler, but on the growth chart, you're, you know, considered yeah. to be yeah. in this higher percentile. Out of range. <laughs> so, right, exactly. So it's so interesting even just thinking about the fact that gut can change, the gut composition can change from the use of home cleaners and obviously yeah. like advocating for the use of cleaners that don't have as many products or chemicals in them. Right, not products, more natural. And kids are even more affected by that because they're crawling and they're putting their hands in their mouth and their body yes. and their their entire skin is touching a lot of it the floor and things more than the adult would and I remember growing up Lysol was so huge everyone had it in their house they sprayed it on all the doorknobs especially during flu season and the thing is, is it will pre- like it will kill the germs, but it's also going to kill the germs on you and in you if that gets introduced into you. And your immune system can fight those small exposures on a daily basis if your immune system is strong. Exactly. And that's where we need to find the balance in it. Like keeping yourself healthy, keeping a strong immune system will actually allow you to get exposed to those things and build a stronger immune system and move forward. I can't remember the last time I was sick because of an exposure to any sort of virus or bacteria. I get exposed to things all the time in the ER and I never get sick from that. If I get sick, it's because I get because I eat gluten um, and from exposures at a restaurant. But that's something that is only so much in my control. And I have seen small improvements with that. But I think the gluten issue is going to be an issue for me long term because of the severe damage to my digestive system that I had created over the first 25 years of my life. Right. Well, I do think that when it comes to food and inflammation, that gluten is the number one that triggers a risk for a higher risk for leaky gut and so I think that I don't think that everyone needs to be gluten-free but I know that you and I are you know always 100% gluten-free it's yeah. a non-negotiable for both of us which I think some a lot of people end up benefiting from but gluten is definitely another one of those foods that I definitely think is a problematic in terms of yeah gut composition for a large majority of individuals right I think you and I are going to have to dive into gluten all in itself probably for like 10 episodes straight. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so I just want to recap a little bit here. You provided so much great information, and I think the small actionable steps that we can all take away from this are just to really focus in on what we're eating, paying attention to the foods that we're eating. If it's coming from a package, taking a second to turn it around, read the labels. If there's more chemical ingredients in it that you can't pronounce than there are real food ingredients, you should probably consider either not eating it or not buying it again and just trying to increase the frequency that you're eating real whole foods. Eat more starchy vegetables, less of the sweet stuff, less added sugars as much as possible. And more color of those vegetables. Yeah, more color. Color is huge. Yeah, it's when Ben and I order out, he's definitely gotten so much better about the way he eats just from being exposed to everything I've been learning over the years. But it's really funny sometimes when he just really wants an indulgent meal and everything on his plate is a shade of brown or yellow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) How most Americans eat. The fried foods, right? Those are the indulgent, delicious things. But there's absolutely no benefit when you're eating that other than maybe the enjoyment from that one meal exactly. um, and decreasing managing your stress levels and the best of your ability we all have different lives but our stress has such a huge toll on our body whether it be our mind or our gut and our cortisol levels are wreaking havoc on our cravings and then also the balance of the healthy bacteria in our system and I know for sure that was a huge part of my health story working as a charge nurse in a very busy and very sick populated emergency department I totally pushed myself to the limit with that career and I still work in the ER but I stepped away from the charge nurse position and I started working at an ER that has more resources and honestly a, a, a healthier population as well And that has played a huge role in me benefiting my own mental health and stress levels at home. I had to make that decision. It was hard to step away, but it was worth it. And last but not least, getting outside. Get exposed to your outdoor environment. If you live in a suburban area or a city area, take a day trip on a weekend that you have off and find a new hiking trail somewhere close by. Or just go outside to the park, sit on the ground and eat your lunch at a park and just try to get outside a little bit more as you go and all of these small changes along the way will create great benefit long term Bridget and I can totally continue this conversation at the next episode because I know she still has so much to talk about and so much to offer so with this episode if you have any more questions for Bridget specifically about these topics, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at critical conversations or you can reach her at being Bridget. B-R-I-G-I-D. And let's continue this conversation. Thank you so much, Bridget, for being here. I cannot wait to see what you bring to the table next week. Of course. I mean, we could have 10 more episodes on gut health because, (laughs) and I'm not even kidding. Uh, But I think you'll be my gut health expert for at least the next few episodes. I think this conversation in itself is so powerful. And I, from both of our personal experiences, we've seen the the amazing changes that can happen within our bodies and our health. And I think that's exactly why we're so passionate about sharing the message. And I'm, yeah, I've also seen it in thousands of people that I've worked with. So it's even more of a reason every time that they see someone get better, it's like, oh, it's just reinforcement that this works so well more than anything. (laughs) 
Yeah, it truly is powerful. And it's within reach. It's something we can change today. You can change the cleaning products in your home. You can start buying different foods and just paying closer attention to the things that you're exposing yourself to on a daily basis. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already, please leave me a reading and review on the Critical Conversations podcast. The reviews are truly just so inspiring every time you leave one for us. And I would love to hear what you think about the new co-hosts and guests that I'm bringing to the table here. And I can't wait to see where this conversation goes from here. We'll see you next week.